sleep and dream of this. Death angel's kiss brings final bliss. Whoa, 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 shit, the record button happened already. Welcome. Hang on, before that, if you guys didn't know. Oh yeah, suicide, I'm already dying. Welcome, this is episode 63. Banging it right out from the beginning. Let's cut to the chase. We are only, I'm going to say less than 40 days away to seeing the Fab Four in the 40th anniversary shows. And the crazy thing about this is, because it literally is, Actually, I want to say the exact is six weeks, two days on there to see the Fab Four. And it's going to be something else. Something else is going to be crazy planned, what they got going on for right now. Nobody knows. But as I mentioned earlier, welcome. This is episode 63 of the Deacon & Co. Show. Today is Wednesday, the 10th of November. Very close. Veterans Day. So this, I guess, in a sense, is a thank you to all the veterans now. Of course, I will bring it up tomorrow in the touchdown report. And I want to first off apologize to all decaholics about the delay in the episode. So back-to-back guests that have come on the Deacon and Co. show, we have actually had a recording session and the record did not record. For whatever reason, one way or another, my fault, ignorance on my end, because I don't really know too much about operating these technological um, misfortune of phones. Because if you have a phone for a decent amount of time, you know, after a while, obviously, you need to upgrade the phone and whatnot. But when you upgrade the phone and it still continues to do that, then you just sit there and wonder to yourself, where were the days of the bleep bleeps on the Nextels? And that was the easiest way. But nevertheless, got it handled, and it will not happen again. So expect episode 64 on Saturday and pumping them out, and expect a new touchdown report tomorrow on game day, Veterans Day 11-11. But for now, let's get into it, all right? So as I started off the show there with Cyanide, of course, coming off the uh, wonderful Death Magnetic album, my entry point to Metallica, if you guys forgot. And so what we got going on the past couple of weeks, obviously, we've celebrated the 40th anniversary on the 28th of October. Um, we had a couple of shows go on, the Seminole, Hard Rock, Hollywood Casino, Hollywood, Florida there. Uh, great, 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 great show there. Would have loved to see that show. And then Saturday night, ATL Live, Unreal, Couple of uh, surprises, uh, absolutely. Set list for the Hollywood, Florida show consisted of a show that might have been probably a show that I would have probably went ape shit at. But we started off again uh, with our introduction here. Long way to the top, we all know. 
that is always going to be heard before Metallica gets on stage, because it is a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Absolutely is. You're going to hear that every single time before the band gets on stage. And I think it's so cool because, like, for the longest time, I had people questioning, like, why was the introduction to the Deacon and Co. show at first? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll by ACDC if this is a Metallica-based podcast. Well, now you guys know the answer. See, the genius in me is still here. All right, bringing us in, Ecstasy of Gold, Ben walks on stage, Whiplash, Ride the Lightning, Harvester of Sorrow, Seek and Destroy, which is weird to see it again early in the set list, Uh, Through the Never, there's a a very surprise uh, there, One, Sad but True, Moth in the Flame, No Leaf Clover, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fuel, Give Me Fuel, Give Me Fire, Give me that which I desire. Welcome home, sanitarium. Leading us to the last song of the night. Puppets, encores come on, blackened, nothing else matters. Enter Sandman. See you later. What a fucking great show that was, let me tell you. So now, that being said, we have Atlanta. Long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Ecstasy of gold. Whiplash. Ride the lightning. The memory remains. Then, holier than thou, one, oh, I'm sorry, memory remains, seek and destroy, then holier, then one, sad but true, moth in the flame, no leaf clover, for whom the bell tolls, fuel, fade to black, master of puppets, and now here we go, encores, blackened, nothing else matters, enter Sandman. What a fucking show or set list. For both of those shows. Unreal. Let me tell you. If I was there, that would be a good show. I'm telling you. But happy with what I'm doing and happy that I had the opportunity to even get tickets to those shows. Glad that things are looking up for all Metallica fans and getting to see them soon. Uh, Some news that we had. Vegas, 25th and 26th, big weekend. Metallica teaming up with Billy Joel. Uh, back-to-back nights there for Metallica the 25th and Billy Joel the 26th there. Going to be great. Going to be great. Did I mention? It's going to be great. Um, but before that, we got something going on. We got next week the uh, Welcome to Rockville Festival. Uh, it would be on the – or actually, not next week. It's actually happening this week. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's going to be the 12th uh, and the 14th that Metallica plays most likely going to see the same set list or maybe one slight change that you saw or that I saw in Sacramento and in Louisville. And right after that, these guys, after Thanksgiving, these guys are going to Globe Life Field in Texas. There's a pay-per-view going on. Not sure of the details of what's going on with them yet, if it's going to be uh, some type of like just guest appearance, but it is pay-per-view. They are charging 20 bucks for it. Find the details on Metallica.com. And uh, it's cool because uh, they're mixing some type of like boxing and UFC, uh, UFC combination in this. So I'm thinking like maybe there's going to be some fights. We're going to see Metallica. Who knows? But I, I don't see Metallica. Um, and I'd be disappointed, to be honest with you, if they did this. I don't see Metallica not doing some type of full set list. Uh, 
because of the fact that they're charging this on pay-per-view. For them to make a guest appearance on something like this, I mean, unless the pay-per-view is going toward the cost of what the boxing is or what or the, the MMA stuff, I don't know. Um, not really too much details on that, but I'm definitely in the process of going to uh, research this. So uh, but that being said, moving on to some other things that I wanted to mention before I get into the quick sports update and I get into my drive for five. You guys will see what I mean in a few. Uh, I have updates, updates, and updates on some things that are coming out. The Tiger King Season 2 is coming out soon. And also we have the uh, new season of Ozark coming out. If you guys catch that stuff on Netflix, it's pretty cool stuff. Gave you guys um, information in Episode 61 that I just wanted to follow up on with you. The two video games, and I knew it would come to me one day, that are coming out. Resident Evil is coming out soon, uh, another movie from the video game series, the classic video game series, that is, and then, of course, uh, the Uncharted was the one that I couldn't figure out when I was uh, on episode 61 with my buddy Jordan Blackhurst, uh, so that's the other one that's coming out in February, I do believe, and I, I believe um, that Mark Wahlberg is going to be uh, playing the part in this, uh, so it's going to be cool, it's cool to see sometimes that you get, you know, video games uh, you know, into movies. It really is. But Uncharted and Resident Evil. For all the gamers out there who remember that, <laughs> the Uncharted PlayStation. PlayStation. Um, love it, love it, love it. Uh, those are the new... Uh, movies that are out for the video games. The video games that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and nobody pointed this out. I had to go back and listen to it myself. NHL 15, I said to you guys. Uh, yeah, well, we're about, uh, let's see, seven years too late on that one. So NHL 22 came out on October 15th. Check it out. It's probably one of the best ones in the series. You guys will really enjoy it. Recently, well, last Friday, we had Call of Duty Vanguard come out, and I uh, haven't had a chance to get mine yet to pick it up. It's been crazy busy, so I will probably end up doing that a little later on this afternoon and checking it out, uh, you know, how cool that's going to be to, you know, finally uh, play the new Call of Duty. Uh, all the modes in there, plus the Battle Royale mode, uh, so it should be good. It should be interesting. Of course, zombies can't have Call of Duty without zombies. There's a couple of them that they didn't put zombies in, and it was just crazy, but believe it or not, the coolest one, and, and I'm actually, I'm really getting, uh, like, uh, to the point where I'm actually going to probably rebuy this game, right? And so, uh, it was the Call of Duty uh, with all of, like, the different themed uh, zombies. There was, you know, one for um, Amusement Park. There was one with, uh, like, it was like a Friday the 13th type of deal. And it was really, really crazy. Uh, different settings that you normally wouldn't see. There was one with the New York subway where the zombies were on roller skates. And, like, it was really, really fucking well done. Um, but, so, you know, when it comes to zombies, you either can take those or the modern ones. Or you go back to taking it to a different level and giving it back to the original. And you're sitting in this old fucking World War II house. And there's zombies that are walking up the stairs. And they're cursing at you. They're coming out of nowhere. There's zombie dogs, zombie bats. It's just fucking crazy. I don't like zombies. But I like blowing them motherfuckers up. And that's, that's the truth about it. Because I spent endless hours. I don't think I've played a video game. Like my top three video games that I've ever played the most in my life. Okay? And think about this from a perspective here. That my, my favorite games of all time are Mortal Kombat and Crash Bandicoot. So 
to for me to say that I, Mortal Kombat's a different story. It was later on in the, in the game's history that they came in with the story modes and this and that. In the beginning, you really wouldn't have that much net time of playing a game that you could beat in, in under a minute. So for each round or each level that you would grow up and when you're fighting players head-to-head in combat. So think about it from that perspective. But Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto V, and... Crash Bandicoot. I spent the most time playing those three games in my history of my life. Uh, I love those games. I still play those games now. I'm a big gamer. Uh, like I had mentioned to you guys in earlier episodes, I have two arcade-style games in my house. Um, and super cool, man. Joysticks, everything. Stools. It's like you're at an arcade. Just think about it retro-style. I told you, I like the old shit. I don't like the new shit. So... Uh, moving on with that subject there, uh, when also with the cool of uh, the Call of Duty with the zombies, when they took it away, they had different things where they had um, you know like different recon groups and stuff like that, where like you'd be put inside um, a, a map uh, with four guys, and there would be about maybe let's say thirteen or fourteen different enemies that come to you, or you got to come to them, kill them before they kill you. Um, type of deal, which is really cool. But one of my other favorite alternatives from zombies, and I break this up because it's so cool, is that there's like, um, I think it's called Extinction. So what it is, is basically it's an alien spaceship that landed, they're, they're hopping out, there's all these aliens, you got to kill them, and then there's different types of um, aliens that come at you and stuff like that. So realistically, you could do this with a team, but I used to spend hours upon hours upon hours just out, like practicing and playing this game for the purpose of gaining skill to go online to play with these guys, because that's how skilled people are online. So I beat this thing by myself one time, only once, and it's that hard. And I'm going to tell you the truth. This this you could pause. Uh, most, like, zombies you could pause, but, like, obviously, if you're in the middle of a game online, there's no way for you to pause if you had to go to the bathroom or whatever the situation is. I played one game of this actual series, of this particular extinction, that took me... 15 and a half hours, and I beat it by myself. It was the only time that I ever beat it. I've come close a lot of times to beating it, but it's very time-consuming, as you see. I didn't cramp, no coffee, no weed, nothing. Just did it. <laughs> just sat there. Uh, obviously, water, soda, whatever it was, but just sat there. It was an overnight thing. It started at maybe 9 o'clock at night, and it just kept rolling through till almost like 1 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And, uh, you know, now he's like, oh, are you still playing that fucking game? <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't have a choice. You got to, you know, keep it going or whatever the situation is. But anyway, moving forward there, it's my uh, rant on video games. Uh, you guys want to chat about video games any time of the day, not a problem. You can, of course, show gmail.com. Follow me on the majors of social, by the way, too, if you haven't already. Deacon and Co Show, gmail.com. As I just mentioned, for the email, Deacon and Co Show at Instagram and Twitter. So, quick sports update for you guys here before I get uh, my guest on the show. Um, in the sports world tonight, obviously, we have game day going on tomorrow, which we will have the touchdown report for you. But in the hoops, we got Wizards and Cavs, Nets and Magic, Raptors and Celtics, Pistons and Rockets, Bucks and the Knicks, Thunder and the Pelicans, Mavericks and the Bulls, both 7-3 and three teams. It's going to be an excellent game. Hornets and the Grizzlies, Kings and the Spurs, Pacers and the Nuggets, Trailblazers and the Suns, Timberwolves and the Warriors, the 9-1, by the way, Warriors, um, and the Miami Heat traveling to play the Los Angeles Lakers in Staples Center. 
Uh, some football games going on tonight in the college world. Uh, basketball is back for the NCAA, which is awesome. Uh, and in the hockey world, only three games tonight, and I'm going to say something that's going to be so cool, and I feel so great saying this, okay? Um, Toronto Maple Leafs are playing the Philadelphia Flyers. The Nashville Predators are traveling to Dallas to play the Dallas Stars. And the Minnesota Wild are going to play the Arizona Coyotes. But the significance of that is that this game will be televised on national television on TNT. And I love it because they're going to have hockey coming back to ESPN. And it's absolutely um, incredible. Love everything about that or whatnot. Recap, because we do have a couple of cool guests coming on who are familiarized with the actual sport of boxing really well. And we're going to have a lot of discussions about that, especially because of what I just said that's going on with Metallica. So after the holidays, you guys are going to hear some boxing. But Canelo Alvarez had a big fight on Saturday night, knocking out his opponent in the 11th round. I got to see the knockout, and it actually was um, it was actually really cool. It was a weird uppercut type of thing. You guys could check it out on like all like the platforms of ESPN has it, and uh, just um, YouTube too. Probably I would say has it. But um, for for Canelo, I feel, and this this is just the way I feel that if something like this is going on, that Metallica is getting involved with. Um, boxing, MMA, all this, that they're trying to set this up. Um, I feel that boxing is a dying sport, and I feel like that uh, when it comes down to, you know, the fighters and whatnot, I don't really see, uh, you know, you know, it was your perception of what you wanted to do, all right? So you're you're sitting there, and you're thinking about it from the aspect of a fighter could fight three times a year, these guys are fighting two times a year up to the point now. Canelo is saying that he realizes, like, hey, listen, you know, I'm the face of boxing. i got to fight three times. And, and uh, you know, uh, Billy Joel Saunders had the wrath of it on Saturday night. And uh, the fight almost went the distance. But I don't look at this fight and uh, say to myself that this is a scenario in which the fight should have even lasted 11 rounds. When, when an opponent is being out swung outmatched by more than 50%, that's not really something that should, in my opinion, uh, last uh, for that many rounds. Uh, unless, of course, the guy who's getting knocked around more times has great stamina and great conditioning. In that case, you know, you're going to give him the you know, full length of a fight under his belt. Like, oh, kudos to you, man. You actually completed the fight. Um, but <laughs> bottom line comes down to it is, you still took the loss in 12 rounds. You put your body through that to prove a point of what. it was. The fight, to me, in my eyes, wasn't close at all. But see what happens on the next go-around. There are some good fights coming up, and I will keep you guys updated, as I had mentioned. And as I promised you guys earlier, I did say that I was going to have a very special guest on the show. I want to welcome now David, the owner and founder of Drive for Five. David, welcome to the Deacon and Co. Show. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, I really appreciate your time, being that this is the second time we have to record this. Yes, of course. 
but that's what happens sometimes, and hopefully this take is better than the first. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we're definitely going to see what happens, because I definitely thought that you sounded great uh, in the first one, and I, I know that uh, we're going to do fine in this one as well. But, uh, David, welcome, man. Hope you are doing well. Hope you had a great weekend. And uh, we're at episode 63 already of the Deacon and Co. show, and the audience wants to know, what is Drive for Five, and who are you? My name is David Lazar. I own Drive for Five. I founded it in 2016, and it was my response to a community that needed a voice. I felt that the New York Islanders meant so much to me, and I know that sports and their team meant so much to other people, too. And I just wanted to take a chance and try my best to give the Islanders some coverage. So in 2016, I felt that I could do more. So I started an Instagram account. I wanted to cover my favorite team. I wanted to post about it and bring awareness to them so more people could follow them. And it took off. It led to a website where we now write about it. We have 30 contributors. It led to five other websites where we cover the Mets, Yankees, New York City Football Club as well. It really has just allowed us to build a community, and that's my goal with Driver 5. We do so much in person with events and meetups and outings at games and digitally with live streams and our social media account that it really just allows me personally to pursue my journalistic goals, to have fun covering my favorite team, and also for our fans to get a unique coverage they're not getting elsewhere. Journalists do a great job. I've been on both sides, but there's different styles. Sometimes you want that game recap AP-style written report, and sometimes you want a fan to tell you what you should think or what they think about things that are going on with the team. And I've been able to do both. I've been able to really have fun with Drive for Five, and it's been something that has taken me so far. It's allowed me to get internships. It's allowed me to go to college. It's allowed me to really do what I love, and I'm so thankful for that. Wow. Now, I'm going to say, and, and not to put you on the spot here, but, uh, man, that was a 100 times better answer than the first one you gave me the first time. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. I guess it's uh, practice that has allowed me to now concise my answers and really what I want to share. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, not only that, uh, Decaholics, uh, David is a very talented writer, and has the intern that he, uh, ship that he is talking about, of course, David, I'm not going to ruin it, so why don't you tell us about that? It's actually awesome that we're doing this call now. My last article with the New York Post was just posted. So now my internship is finally concluded. I have a full-page spread in Tuesday's paper with the college basketball preview covering Hofstra University, the school I go to, and now my internship has officially come to an end, and that internship is a New York Post sports writer. So I was able to be a sports writer, which was my dream. And not just be a sports writer, I was able to be a sports writer for my opinion, the best sports section in the world, and that's the New York Post. I was able to work with so many amazing people like Molly Walker, Larry Brooks, Mike Picaro, Steve Servi, and others who taught me so, so much about writing and journalism. And the cool thing for me was, I'm an Islander fan. I'm not going to hide away from that. And the Post didn't hide away from that either. On my first day, on June 7th, I was covering an Islanders-Penguins playoff game. It was an awesome, awesome opportunity for me to do what I love. I was able to go into the field. I was able to talk to all my favorite players as a kid. My first day, I got to interview Josh Bailey and write a feature on him, and he's one of my favorite players. And what I had to do this summer was learn how to take my fandom, which I have immense pleasure in doing and watching and supporting my team, and I had to take that 
able to write five, six, seven, eight stories a day in a rapid newsroom environment, and I garnered over five million views for the New York Post website, and I was in print over 40 times. It was an unbelievable experience, and I truly believe it was a dream come true. I did more in that summer than some get to do in their life, and I'm so, so, so thankful for that. So it was really awesome. Drive for Five helped me get that internship because they saw that I could do good journalism, and they saw that I could take my fandom and turn it into journalistic work. So the New York Post, I'll always be forever grateful for them. I hope an opportunity arises in the future after I graduate college. And all in all, it was just a perfect experience this summer. Wow, that is uh, truly remarkable. And I, I did mention to you guys um, that he is talented. And you really are, David. I, I have read a couple of your pieces and I've uh, been an avid supporter of yours since the first time that I met you. Although you are an Islander fan, I said there is something about you that you know your shit, man. And, and to come on and, you know, say, you know, that you've had this accomplishment, this, it's only the beginning. And I truly mean that. Thank you so much. And a big accomplishment I've had is just realizing how important sports is and how important it is in my life. I was able to turn it into a livelihood, turn it into a career for a summer, and I hope to do that in the future. I know how much sports means to people. I know how much sports means to your listeners and how much it means to you. And I was able to truly live a dream, and I hope to continue living that dream. It's so unbelievable to go into a press box, to share your work to fans and just have fun watching and doing what you love. So hopefully this is just the beginning. I agree with that sentiment, and hopefully I'm able to do a lot more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, anything that I can do to help that, of course, you let me know, and I would definitely uh, be there to help you along the way. Uh, most people don't know, um, especially, you know, new members and new decaholics, but I also have a background in journalism as well, two degrees, um, as well as interning with the Boston Globe and uh, working for ESPN for two, almost three years, um, you know, doing exactly what you love to do and what I love to do. So... When you get the opportunity like this, I don't think that it's m many people really understand completely the lifestyle of somebody who has an actual sports passion the way you and I do. And it's very different. And hats off to you for showing your professionalism at a young age to be able to not groupie and to get your focus on being there as a fan, living the history, and doing your job all at the same time. That's what it's all about want to work and do something you love because if you do something you love it doesn't feel like work and this summer while i worked 60 hour weeks there were nights i went to bed exhausted and there were nights i woke up really really tired because i knew how busy i was working but at the end of the day i can sit down and say i'm loving what i'm doing and i'm doing good work so that's what it's all about that's what sports is all about that's what life is all about if you do something you love you can really have a fun time living in this world and thankfully i was able to do that this summer I was able to do that with Drive to Five, and hopefully I can do that in the future, as I said. Awesome. Now, what are your ultimate goals, David? My ultimate goal is to make a career for myself in journalism. I want to continue to work, continue to write, and to continue to have fun doing what I love. I think that's everyone's goal. As a journalism student, you want to make it in this hard field. You want to establish a life for yourself, and you want to make it which a lot of people unfortunately can't. And I think that after that, that's a first goal. That's something that is not my primary focus. My primary focus in life is to give back, is to help others, and is to make an impact. And I think that my main goal, my ultimate goal at this point, is I want to teach. Because at Hofstra, I am a math major and I'm a 
love using my math in my journalism and using my writing skills in my math. And I think that I didn't want to give up one or the other when I came to college. So what that means is my job on campus now is a math tutor. I tutor students one-on-one, and I help them with all university-level math courses. And what that's allowed me to do is realize that I really like teaching. I really like giving back. I really like when my work can help others. And I think after I create a name for myself and work in the field for X amount of years, I want to give back. And when that time feels right, I know that I'll hopefully come back and be a teacher, come back and be a professor, or mentor others in the field. Because that's when I feel like my work is at its best. When I'm able to help others, it gives me a light at the end of the tunnel. It allows me to be motivated. It allows me to really have a positive perspective about the work that I do. And I think that is my ultimate goal. I want to give back. I want to teach. And I want to help others. Because if I don't do that, I don't feel like my work will feel complete. So I really, really hope that one day, when this is all said and done, that I can share what I've learned to others. Because if not, what's the point? Absolutely. And great response on there because, I mean, now it's not just what you want to do as your career. Now you already have it set that you're already looking for the next steps as well, which is great. It really is great to have um, a set plan and goals, and definitely with your determination, you'll get there. It's just a matter of time. I hope so. We'll see. But that definitely is a long-term goal, and many people might wonder why I have long-term goals, but can we both agree that you can live in the moment? That's very important. We live in the moment, but you have to plan a trip. You have to plan something in a year. You have to plan something in a few years. There has to be some sort of plan in the future, something you're looking forward to, because that is what really keeps us going. And I think that that's what I'm doing right now. I'm really trying to give myself some options for when after journalism, after my career, I can really look forward to giving back. And I want to give back in my career and as I'm doing it, too. So there's so many options out there. There's so many things we can do. But I've identified pretty early on that I need to be helping others, and that's something that really gives me a sense of passion. Definitely. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Topic number two here, David, with hockey and basketball now underway, what are your early predictions and expectations of this season? That is a great question, Deacon. There are many, many things that I can say, and right now I think I have to start with hockey, and I have to start with my New York Islanders. The New York Islanders have played 10 games. They're 5-3-2. They have 12 points, a 600-point percentage. Five wins in regulation. I think that the Islanders right now are a good hockey team. But they weren't always a good hockey team this year. Their first two games faced trouble. They lost by seven goals. Dano Chara was a minus four against the Florida Panthers in their second game. Ilya Sorokin struggled. The Islanders did not look great. But Islanders fans, the mantra, always believe, and I always believe, from a fan perspective, that they'd be better. And from a journalistic perspective, their team was a lot better than they showed in those first two games. So some fans panicked, but I didn't. And the Islanders have shown they've gone on a seven-game point streak. They've played really well before losing on Sunday against Minnesota. And all in all, I think the Islanders are going to have another successful season. They've made the NHL Final Four two seasons in a row, and I think they're going to make it first. That's my prediction here. I think that the New York Islanders are an amazing hockey team. I know that must be tough to hear as a Rangers fan, but they have legitimate Stanley Cup hopes, and I think they can do it. And I think it's very important to look at a very minor roster transaction that happened last week. The Islanders traded the contract to Johnny Boychuk, 
playing. He suffered a catastrophic eye injury, but he's on the long-term injured reserve. They traded his contract to the Buffalo Sabres. Who cares? Well, Islanders fans should, because that allows the Islanders to have $10 million in cap space at the trade deadline. The salary cap is a very duplicated, delicate thing. Many people are really unfamiliar with how it works, but that big trade is big for the Islanders, because now they can add the trade deadline. And I think the Islanders are going to be biased to the deadline. I think they're going to have a successful playoff run. I think the Islanders are going to make the Final Four once again. But there are some other predictions that I have. When you look up and down the league, I think that there are three teams that stand out this season who have really impressed at the top. The Florida Panthers, Carolina Hurricanes, and Edmonton Oilers went on long, undefeated stretches to start the season. They are the three best teams in hockey right now. And I don't know if that's going to last. I think the Oilers have some issues in net. I think the Carolina Hurricanes don't have that playoff power that they always want to have. And I think the Florida Panthers have some off-the-ice issues, and I'm not sure if their roster will hold up for the whole season. So those three teams, they have played really well, but I'm not sure if they're going to be able to keep it up all season. I think some teams that have won cups in the past, like the Washington Capitals and the St. Louis Blues and the Tampa Bay Lightning, are going to improve, and they're going to really push for the playoffs. And other teams that have improved this year, how can you not look at the Anaheim Ducks, the San Jose Sharks, the Buffalo Sabres, those teams were supposed to be really, really bad, and they've come out of play pretty well. So I think my prediction for this year is you're going to see some teams in the playoffs that you don't usually expect in the playoffs. I think there's going to be that one or two upset picks this year, and that's beautiful. That's the parody of hockey. That's what makes the game so special. On the contrary, basketball doesn't have much parody. You can expect who's going to win. You can expect what's going to happen. But as a Knicks fan pretty happy with where they are right now. The New York Knicks, I believe, similar to the New York Islanders, have such a deep roster. They have probably the best bench in basketball. They have one of the deepest teams in basketball. They are one of the most hardworking teams in basketball, and I think they have legitimate chances to win a few playoff rounds. I don't think they're going to go and do what many people have these high hopes of them doing, which is winning a championship, but I think they're going to play pretty well. And I think the Knicks have a chance to really, really make their mark this season. And I think another team that I want to focus on, the Golden State Warriors have struggled the last few years, but they're not done. They can't be counted out. And I think they're going to make a long playoff run, as are the Lakers. I know you're a big fan, but they really added this offseason. Some would consider it unfair with the Lakers and as well as the Nets did. These teams added so many players. It's like they were playing fantasy basketball. So I think in the NBA going to have the return of some of these teams that have played well in the last few years, and I think this is the year of the Knicks. They're not going to win the championship, but I think they're going to improve off a decade of real mediocrity, and I think they're going to win a playoff series or two come playoff time. Absolutely, and I think that the Knicks are a threat um, as well, and for 10-1 and one right now for the Golden State Warriors is really impressive without Klay Thompson, and to be in first place of the Pacific Division uh, without all these superstars. Now, my philosophy on the superstar is that you can add all of these players to one team and that their egos cannot get along and they cannot stay healthy, that then there is nothing that anybody can do. And I went back and I made a prediction a year ago, uh, right around when they started playing basketball, and I said that the Brooklyn Nets will be out in the second round, and sure enough, they were. I'm also going to say that about my team, and it may hurt Laker Nation. I apologize, but this team right now, after what I've watched over the course of the first 
10 games of the season. Um, I'm really not impressed by them. Uh, we, we made a bad move, I think, by getting rid of half the young players of our team to bring in Russell Westbrook, who on Saturday night on a big game versus Portland when LeBron James is out, shot one for 13. So I, I don't think that that move was good. Yes, he's a good player, but when he can have players around him that are not superstars, I think that's when he excels best. That's a fair point. I think the Lakers right now are playing 500 basketball, but there's just something about playoff basketball and LeBron James that you just can't ignore. I feel like if they don't give up, they play hard and play to the best of their abilities, they're going to have a deep playoff run. But as you said, right now they're not. And right now, Russell Westbrook is adapting to a new system. And I think he needs a little bit of an ego minimizer. I think you see him now in a tertiary role. He's probably the third best player on that team, and he probably thinks he's the best. So I'm interested to see how he adapts to that system, but the Nets right now, I think it's really interesting. Could we see Kyrie Irving play one game this season, and could it be at the All-Star game? That would be the epitome of the Nets that they are right now off the court, but on the court they seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, uh, I believe they are 7-3 record now. Um it's it's one of those scenarios where I just feel like they you start building these teams and they have rules against it and now everybody's allowed to do you know the moves and whatnot. I mean, there's talks right now that Damon Lillard may join the Lakers, and that point now this team is now expected to get to the championship. And if they don't, then what does that prove for stacking all these superstars on one team? Certainly something you don't see in hockey. In yeah, hockey you have a have them playing for the logo on the front of the jersey, never the name on the back. I'd argue sometimes it's different in basketball. I'd argue sometimes that these players are looking for the extra point. They're looking for the extra three at the end of the game. Whereas in hockey, I don't think they could care who scores or who doesn't. They just want to win. I think it's the contrary. I think that's what makes hockey and basketball so unique, played at the same time, is just how different the sports are. In almost all areas, they are complete opposites. And I think that that's interesting to watch. In hockey, stacking stars, the Lightning did it, but they drafted all their guys, and they took advantage of a system that, unfortunately, was a little unfair, but they took advantage of the rules, and those were fair, and they were allowed to do it. But in basketball, it's a little different. Players run the teams, and in hockey, the teams run the players. So it's the complete opposite, but I think that's why I am so attached to hockey, I think it's such an intense, fast-paced sport. They never give up. And I think that right now you're seeing such parity in the league. The three top teams in hockey are the Edmonton Oilers, Carolina Hurricanes, and the Florida Panthers. Who ever thought? Who would have ever thought that? So that's a beautiful thing. And in basketball, you tend to see similar storylines coming about. So that's what makes the sport so special. They're so different, and it's cool if they're played at the same time. Absolutely. Um now, let me ask you, as a young fan, what is your opinion about the growth of sports wagering on screen while watching a game? It's annoying. It's a little tough to focus, and I think people have already placed their bets when you see that. However, I think it goes to show just how important sports gambling is becoming. If you're watching, for example, a Bears- Steelers game. 
<laughs> you're watching that as a sports fan who isn't sports gambling. You're probably sitting there on your phone getting snacks, using the bathroom, doing some homework or doing some work during it, listening to Monday Night Football, terrible broadcasting, and really just watching that because you have nothing better to do. That's where sports becomes what some people consider it as just basic entertainment, something to do in the background. It's not a good football game. But let's say you have 100 bucks in the Steelers, minus six and a half. You were pretty pissed when there was a fumble late in the game. And you were pretty pissed when the Bears went on that comeback only for the Steelers to win on a missed field goal. It takes the game experience and it turns it from a boring football game, two teams you're not a fan of, two boring running football teams, Big Ben's a bust, he's done. Look at all this garbage that's on your TV screen. Well, <laughs> gambling comes into play. Now it's interesting. Now you need a team to win. Your money depends on it, and you're rooting so hard for a team that a day ago you couldn't care less about. That's where sports gambling is awesome. That's where, if you're that fan, that bears Steelers game was pretty awesome last night if you had the Bears to cover the spread or if you had the Steelers' money line. It was awesome. It was fun. It was engaging. For me, I was doing homework and eating cookies during it. I didn't care. But for many people, it's fun. So to answer your question, I think it's annoying. I don't like the shoving down your throat of gambling during a live broadcast. But for people who know their teams and know their team is going to come back, you know they've hit the post five times and the Islanders are going to score two goals in this third period and send it to overtime and win. You just know that. And you can bet five bucks to win 40, that's going to happen. That's pretty cool. But I don't think many people do that. I don't think many people want to turn their their Steelers experience into a heart attack. So I think that all in all, I find it a little annoying, but I totally see how sports gambling and seeing the odds during the game can enhance the experience for a fan and make sports, as we've talked about and as has been a theme on this show, a little larger than life absolutely and uh for me it just it annoys the fuck out of me because it makes me get to the point where i don't even want to gamble and do the touchdown report every thursday handicapper in football all my life i've been doing this since i'm five years old my father used to hand me the cards so i have a good perception of what's going to happen with the exception of what happened on sunday with all the upsets and we'll talk about that on thursday's episode of the touchdown report all decaholics be ready for that but the thing is that when I see that kind of shit to me, it's like now you're coming out of the closet with it to me because I've been doing this for how many years now, and I never got excited when I say, oh, man, I don't have to check my phone because they're going to tell me and try to get me to do this, and it actually makes me not want to do it. But I do understand your argument as well as I can see both sides and now putting sports books inside of stadiums uh, starting next year uh, it's only a matter of time before this is the new norm. Obviously, it's becoming the new norm, uh, as I just had a situation happen where gambling was approved for New York State, but now your tax on gambling is going to be 51%. Good job. Now you figured out how to do things that were once illegal and now make them legal. Am I, I going to do that? Am I going to sign up for you know all these sites? No, I'm going to still use my guy because... I have that line of credit and initial with my bookie that most people that are gambling right now online and even at the sports books don't have, regardless of if it's five dollars or a hundred bucks. If I lose, that's when I have to lay that money out. It's 
certainly an interesting argument, and it's certainly an argument of sports and culture. And I think sports and culture is a beautiful thing. You look at how sports impacts people. You see Ali Frazier and how that became a larger-than-life issue. You see the miracle on ice and how that represented a country struggling with the hostage crisis, struggling with long gas lines, struggling with prison riots. And a hockey team won, and it magically all went away. So I believe, personally, that sports gambling is a tool for people to do it responsibly for sports to become larger than for sports to have more importance and sports to be more entertaining and have more entertainment value. I do see both sides. I see why some people enjoy it and some people don't. I personally don't want to get into it because I don't know how it will affect my journalistic perspective and I don't know how it will affect my team. I don't think I could bet on the Islanders because if they won or lost, I'd personally take the blame. But I think sports and culture is really interesting because what sports gambling is doing is it's getting more people into the sport. More people are watching hockey. More people are watching basketball. More people are watching football. Baseball, I would leave out of that argument. But <laughs> we're watching these sports because they have more invested into it. Their literal money and their time. It changes the viewing experience. And just like Ali Frazier, just like the Miracle on Ice, it makes sports a little more than it was a few days ago. So, I really think it's an interesting argument. We'll see it coming really, really soon into our faces and becoming so apparent everywhere. I was watching the Islanders game a few nights ago, three advertisements in a row. It was DraftKings, FanDuel, and then MSG's betting show. Minute 30 straight of advertising. For gambling, that used to be State Farm, Progressive, and Allstate. Now it's gambling. So I think you're starting to see things change. And I think that you could argue if it's for the better or worse. I don't know. But there is change, and you can't argue that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I like that uh, answer. That was a very good answer. Um, topic number three here, and I know you got a crazy story for us, but Metallica, best of all time, greatest band that ever lived. What are your thoughts, stories, anything that you want to share with us? My gateway into Metallica was through my brother. My brother is a student at Virginia Tech, and when I watch Virginia Tech football, it's Metallica. That's what I think, because without question, the best tradition in college football, arguably one of the best traditions in sports, especially at the college level, is when the Virginia Tech football team enters Lane Stadium to enter Sandman. It really is just the coolest thing. The song was made in 1991. The tradition began in 2000, and the bleachers have been rocking ever since. I saw September 3rd, 2021, when Virginia Tech entered against number 10 North Carolina. It looked like a mob of people. It literally looked like a psychotic break of these bleachers and people just coming together, and Metallica is what united those people. So I think it's really beautiful. That is my intro to it watching Virginia Tech football enter to enter Sandman. It is such a cool tradition, and it's one of my favorite in sports. Metallica is a really cool band. They do a lot of cool things, and one of my favorite things is when you research the meaning behind their songs more and more, they weren't just making songs for money. They weren't just making songs for fame. Their songs have legitimate meaning. They have messages, and it really tells stories of America and the world as a whole. But for me, Virginia Tech is how I got into it, and right now there's just so many cool things that you can do. Their anniversary and just all the things that they do, it's just so unbelievable to see the impact that they've had. Awesome, 
man. That definitely has got to be a uh, crazy atmosphere over there. I can only imagine what what it's like. And, and that's really cool that, um, you know, that they do that kind of thing around there because I think that a lot of people would, um, you know, agree also, you know, of all they have done thus far, you know, celebrating 40 years is just unreal. And uh, it's like when you can actually look back and see how many bands have done that and that are continuing to still do this it really kind of blows your mind that these guys are still out there and can't wait we're on the road in the path to the 40th anniversary shows uh and it's gonna be great man it really is it's gonna be awesome 1981 that's a long time ago they still have an impact now they really made an impact in california los angeles san francisco but i think you can argue they've had a worldwide impact and i know that you'd certainly agree with that Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing, David, when I tell you, um, like going to see a Metallica concert in another country. The only thing that I can describe it as is seeing a World Cup game in another country. It's that intense, that crazy, and it's everybody knows every word. They may not understand the language, but they know everything, and they're just there for all the right reasons. That sounds really beautiful. Just like sports can bring people together, music certainly can too, and Metallica does a great job at doing that. I know that you said, are they the best four? I don't know. I like the Beatles. I know you like Metallica, but all in all, they really, really do such great work, and I think you can argue that billions of people over time have really been familiar with what they've done. Absolutely. Uh, David, that's going to bring us down into uh, Genius of the Week here. Clinically brain dead. I don't need a second opinion. There is something about being clinically brain dead that Eminem says that it always cracks me up and that I guess forever will be the entrance to Genius of the Week. The classic event that happens once a week on the Deacon and Co. show about a genius who does something, well, genius. <laughs> so this week's genius driving on uh, Suffolk County, Long Island, New York, and I happen to see a box truck at a red light that actually has a garage door on the back of it where its normal regular pull-up latch would be. So I'm just in awe, hang out. This guy's crossing over the railroad tracks. Garage door opens, and everything starts flying out all over the road. It was just complete mayhem, just genius of the week, man. I've never seen anything like that before. I truly was blown away. Is there a second part of that story that you're not sharing, though? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> what about the train tracks? I thought that there was uh, something else that happened with that. Yeah, he, no, no, he had popped over the train tracks and all of the stuff started flying out all over the road. <laughs> yeah, but last time you told me the train started coming. So oh, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> Sorry. That was a scary situation. That Sorry. That was the craziest thing because... Yeah. When I hear that, I think, is the train going to derail? And thankfully, Yeah, exactly. So he crosses over the actual tracks, and the the barrier or the, I guess, the alarm or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the arms of the signal come down, and they turn around, and they still had a bunch of the stuff that was on there, and it was just crazy, man. Like, I've never seen anything like this before, and you probably could have risked, you know, safety or whatnot doing something like that, obviously, but... Is it now okay for this guy to not be ticketed or something like this, to have something like that? Because that's got to be illegal, obviously, to have a garage door on the back of your box truck. Well, you see it all the time, people driving down these Long Island highways, which have low bridges. There's a long reason why the low bridges are there. 
really unfair, but at the end of the day, you have these tractor trailers driving through these highways, and they slam the top of their trucks into these bridges, and they just wipe out. So I, I do think there's tickets and punishments that people receive for that because it's, it's really dangerous, and that literally could have derailed the train. Thankfully, it didn't, but definitely uh, a genius of the week there. <laughs> definitely. All right, now, so that's going to bring us down into – favorite category of the show here it's rapid response david i know you're a fan of the show so take a minute or two to uh talk about the answer to the question at hand here your favorite journalist personally my favorite journalists are the ones that i've worked with on the islanders beat and have helped me get to that point andrew gross of newsday and arthur staple of the athletic are two amazing men who have helped me so much and given me advice that I need to be a journalist. They cover the Islanders so well. Arthur Staple has recently got a promotion. He now covers the Rangers, too. And they have just meant so much to me in my career. They have such a unique style. They have such a smart style. They really know the team so well. And they have been my favorite journalist. But I have to give a shout-out to some of the journalists I worked with at the Post. Molly Walker has been unbelievable in helping me really grow as a journalist. She was there side by side with me covering the Islanders playoff runs and she gave me a lot of responsibility which was awesome I was able to go to morning skate and able to break news and that's something I never expected to this summer Larry Brooks was also awesome working with me on the beat he is a hall of fame journalist for the Rangers so I really think that he does a great job covering the Rangers for the New York Post as a columnist and then of course Mike Vaccaro Steve Serby Ian O'Connor and a bunch of those great columnists at the Post the New York Post has such a style where they continue paying money for journalists to travel. They continue paying for columnists. They continue to make that sports section the best sports section that it could be. So I really believe that those are some of my favorite journalists. I love Arthur Staple. I love Andrew Gross, and I love all the people I worked with this summer at the New York Post. Awesome. I can't agree with you more um, in regards to the Post. Um, I've, the Post is the only newspaper that I will read because there's been many times that even across the country with the L.A. Times and other newspapers and whatnot um, that I've read, that people are watching a different game than I'm watching. But the New York Post really does do a really great job, and I wanted to bring that up before. Uh, my favorite journalist, is though, is going to shock the audience. It's going to be Hunter S. Thompson, a huge fan of him and everything that he had going on. And I sometimes try to think that my mind thinks like his because – of just the activities and whatnot that we both endure, um, you know, in our free times for me and Hunter S. Thompson. But uh, the passion for these sports, along with doing the extracurriculars, intensifies the brain and opens up different parts of the brain that most people wouldn't understand or even come close to understanding. This guy was a genius, and uh, a lot of people don't know that. I'm going to do a, uh, a whole thing on journalists, I think. I'm going to do, do a whole episode after the new year. Uh, and we definitely got to have you back on there to help me with it. That sounds awesome. Uh, rapid number two here. I'm going to go back to this, uh, my version of the Fab Four. Metallica's best song, Master of Puppets, or one. Every guest on the Deacon and Co. show is asked this question. David, what is your response? One really helps the men. Metallica, Metallica is one of the greatest metal bands in the world. I thought...
songs ever, and they have to call that their best song. I hope you agree with me, but at the end of the day, that's what I'm going with. I'm going to go with Master of Puppets. Now, I originally gave you the response of, I'm going to disagree and go with one. And I was just trying to pit play a trick on all the audience who was listening. But yes, I'm in agreement with you 100%. If anybody is a Metallica fan and they don't recognize that Master of Puppets is their best song, I'm sorry to say, fan of mine or not, you are a fucking idiot. Because this song has everything that you can ask for in a song, including the message being delivered behind it, as you mentioned. Um, as far as one goes, it is Metallica's second best song. And without the um you know the the situation that we had going on over the last uh two festivals and i'm sure it's going to happen again next week uh when metallica plays the third festival um i was lucky enough to get the road show that had both master of puppets and one in this show um i wanted to go back and look in history to see if there was any time that both of these songs were not played at their concerts and sure enough only when the two did not exist <laughs> so for when the second show happened and they didn't play either one of these songs there, I understood the message of what was going on and what they were doing of why they did it because most of the people at these festivals purchased tickets for both of the shows. So I did not do that. So on the second show, they gave the Black Album and everything else that we missed from the night of the first show. But worth the price of admission every time. If you were charged $500 a ticket, it would be worth every penny because this is their masterpiece. Rapid number three in our final rapid for the day. What is your favorite event ever attended? 100% without question. Game six, Islanders Lightning, Anthony Beauvillier, overtime winner, a minute into overtime, to send the Nassau Coliseum home on a high note. That was sports. That was what made me realize just how much I love hockey, just how much I love journalism, and just how much I love doing what I love. Anthony Beauvillier's goal. I have never heard anything louder. I have never heard anything more surreal and more out of your body. Nassau Coliseum has a long history, but that goal was the last memory Islanders fans will ever have there, and that for me is a beautiful thing. The Islanders were down to nothing. Jordan Everly had a nice backhander to get it to 2-1. Scott Mayfield had a snipe to tie it up. And then Anthony Bovillier sent the crowd home happy. And not only were they happy, they were absolutely ecstatic. Everyone threw their beer cans and water bottles and towels onto the ice. It was a true Nassau Coliseum celebration. <laughs> it was a dump, but it was our dump. And I think that that truly showed just how much of a dump it was in the most beautiful of ways. Seeing the beer rain down, seeing the towels and the garbage onto the ice, it was our dump, and I think that we truly embraced it. Three bathrooms in that arena. It was absolutely a madhouse trying to take a piss during an intermission. You have to wait a 40-minute line. That won't be happening at UBS Arena, but for me, Nassau Coliseum is such a beautiful place. It was such a icon of Long Island culture, and for Anthony Bovillier to send the building home happy in the last ever game there. That meant so much to me, and it was my favorite sporting event ever attended. Awesome. I, I like that. Um, mine's not going to be what most people would think, but I, I mean, you're going to get there um, one day, and I, I know it'll happen, and when it does for you, I'm going to be happy. Um, and what I mean by that is 
that you're going to get an opportunity to see your team win a championship. So I've done that. Everybody except the Chargers. I didn't see that. But I've had an opportunity. I've been at all, at least one of the Laker finals games with the exception of COVID. Um, and my favorite memory is going to be when I went to the Olympics to see Kobe in London. And, and that, was, that, was my, uh, you know, that was my tribute at that point, knowing, all right, you're my favorite athlete of all time. You now surpassed Michael Jordan and Barry Sanders, and I'm going to give you the respect you deserve, and I'm going to come see you win a gold medal in London. And it was amazing. It, was, it wasn't there very long. I got to see the silver, um, silver game and the gold medal game. Um, you know, I mean, the uh, bronze and the, uh, the gold medal. Obviously, you're going to see the silver and the gold medal game. And I got to see one other game other than that, and uh, it was really it was an unbelievable experience. And there wasn't... Um, it wasn't like it was, you know, uh, so far-fetched for people to hop on a plane and go see the Olympics. It was just across the pond, but there, it went a little bit more, you know, especially of the time of what we had going on and everything else in the country and whatnot. So it really was definitely a remarkable experience for me. That sounds lovely. And I think that an overseas sporting experience, seeing the Olympics, seeing a World Cup, seeing anything that's international, that's an awesome thing. And I totally think that that is about unification of country, unification of self, and it is such a beautiful thing to see a country win a gold, to see a country come together. That is really cool. And it was a cool experience for me to cover the Olympics this summer with the Post and see all these people, their life work be validated with a medal. I think the Olympics and all international events are really cool and a unique sporting event. I'll always have Stanley Cup first for me. That's what I want the most. I want the Islanders to win a Stanley Cup, but definitely definitely is and crazy thing about that story was the best part of my whole trip yes team usa won the gold medal we were bringing it home but my favorite part is i wish i could have taken a picture with the woman who was walking up to me was a staff member and she says to me um would you like to take a picture with lebron james and i said uh no i'm good thank you i'm waiting for kobe <laughs> and the, the look on her face like you know, this is LeBron James. I'm like, well, you're obviously still young, and you don't know who Kobe is, so I'm going to let you have a pass on that. But I wish I could have had a picture with her and her face there. But, David, got to thank you so much, man, for coming on the show today and uh, redoing the show again with me. Um, unfortunately, though, man, i got to tell you that uh, the show, it, it, it didn't record. So I hope you have it on your end, the recording. I do. I don't think you're joking. I we, we are good. I appreciate that. And you know what it is? It's just that, you know, sometimes, like you had mentioned, that things happen, you know, for a reason or whatnot. But you were great. And uh, anything that um, I can do to help support you and what you've got going on, you let me know. Because I think that you are definitely heading in the right direction um, in your career um, and the path to a successful fanhood, especially knowing when you, you know, have picking up little moves and little things that you've said. I know that the audience is going to realize and recognize that as well. But where can the Decaholics reach you and speak to you about this? And uh, where can they take a look at uh, your articles and stuff that you have written? If you want to find any of my articles, you can Google David Lazar, New York Post. David, L-A-Z-A-R, New York Post. And a link to all of my articles will come up. And I really encourage you guys to do that because it was a great portfolio of work and a great summer. And if you want to reach me personally and you want to email me, you can reach out to me at 
drive, the number four, F-I-V-E, blog at gmail.com. One more time, drive, the number four, F-I-V-E, blog at gmail.com. Drive for five blog at gmail.com. I'm really open to helping anyone and answering any questions that you guys have, and I hope that you guys reach out, and I hope that you guys read my articles. Awesome, man. I hope everybody has enjoyed this uh, segment with David. Uh, do me a favor, please, all Deacaholics who haven't done so already, follow me on the majors of social, Instagram and Twitter, Deacon and Co Show, gmail.com if you want to leave an email. And I still have two spots open left for anybody who wants to give back this year and help me donate some meals to the less fortunate on Thanksgiving morning. It's only going to take an hour of your time. So deaconandcoshow at gmail.com if you would like to do so and leave a message there. Uh, for now, David and Deacon are out.